Welcome to Show Me the Money with Michael Dirk. Show Me the Money is a podcast that is bringing in industry leaders in the commercial real estate sector that are either on the financing side, the development side, the acquisition side, disposition, brokers, investors, bankers, management companies, everyone that's in and out of the the business and all um, facets of the trade so that hopefully you can benefit if you're looking to grow your business, start your business, or maybe transition into something else. Today, we're going to have Mr. John Drockman on the show. I'm hopeful that you'll really enjoy this episode. John comes with a very significant resume. You're going to hear about different trials and tribulations he's done on deals from the office product, apartments, industrial, from him being a broker to a principal and even being a teacher with having children or whatnot. So he's balancing a very, very heavy schedule, but still being very successful in all different facets of it. Today's episode has been sponsored by Willow Glen Insurance. Leighton Peterson and his team has been excellent on all different types of commercial real estate insurance across the United States, has never let us down, and I highly recommend using him and his team. Again, Leighton, thank you for sponsoring the episode, and we hope that a lot of our viewers will utilize your services in the future. If you want more information on Willow Glen Insurance, please look at the show notes and you'll find the information there. Thank you, and have a great day. Welcome to Episode 7 of Show Me the Money with Michael Dirk. Right now, we have Mr. John Drockman here. John, thank you for coming to the show. Thank you for having me. John is co-founder and head of capital markets for Waterford. Since starting his predecessor firm, Stillwater Investment Group, in 2014, John has acquired and been a partner in over $2.8 billion of office, retail, and apartment assets in Southern California, To acquire these assets, John has created and developed joint venture partnerships with a variety of different capital sources, including high net worth private investors, family offices, and institutional equity funds, while leveraging his strong relationships with the brokerage community to source opportunities. Previously, John was vice president of Greenlaw Partners in Orange County, where he led acquisitions and asset management efforts on a portfolio of commercial real estate assets throughout Southern California and Arizona. John began his career as a commercial real estate broker with Grubb Ellis. John earned his Bachelor of Business Administration from the University of Arizona. He went on to earn his MBA degree as well as his Master's in Real Estate Development from University of Southern California, go Trojans, Mm -hmm. where he has been an adjunct faculty member since 2015. Mm -hmm. He is an active member of NAIOP, both locally and nationally, and an avid swimmer and golfer. He currently resides in Newport Beach with his wife, Laura, and their three children. Mm-hmm. So again, John, thank you for coming to the show. Of course, happy to be here. Um, would like to kind of just jump right in and ask, sure. what has the last year looked like for you and the business on that stand, standpoint, and what, what are you seeing right now? Yeah, obviously, it's extremely interesting. I think that, um, you know, it's been kind of a whirlwind of change because, you know, we were in a strong good market for so long. Um, I used to joke that I felt like, you know, even back in 2014, when I started Stillwater, uh, there were people who said, oh, are you sure you want to start a company right now? We're sort of late cycle, right? And so people still had that fear of the GFC, which by the way, the irony of thinking 2014 was late cycle (laughs) when we had another, you know, eight or nine years. And so I think that uh, from our standpoint, um, we were sort of a little bit nervous about sort of when the cycle was going to turn, as you know, from being in the business, real estate is a cyclical business. Right. So I always say that it's it's, it's cyclical, so things are going to change. Um, and we really saw 
my partner and I back in kind of the beginning of 2022, some sort of shifting and some changes in the markets. Uh, specifically, that's when you started hearing bond rates increasing. You started seeing interest rates start to rise. Right. And I think what we really got a little bit nervous with was, you know, just really how aggressive things got. Um, which was felt very reminiscent of sort of 06, 07 in terms of where cap rates were going, where pricing was going. And so I think the last year for us has been really sort of asset managing our existing assets, being very patient in the market, allowing the market and this sort of cycle to work through. We're very fortunate that, you know, we don't have much, if any, short-term floating rate debt. Right. You know, our portfolio is mostly fixed rate loans that have term on them. We got really aggressive in 2021 in pursuing assets using, you know, long-term fixed rate financing, yes, refinancing existing deals. So very smart. we've sort of been in this position of sort of trying to watch, be patient. Um, we have continued to bid on assets. Um, we have continued to look for opportunities. But I think patience has been the word over the last, call it, 12 to 18 months Got it. Uh, at Waterford. Okay. Well, that's that's great. And obviously, we've seen a lot of our clients right now, a lot of people have put pencils down. But, you know, there still is a lot of – I wouldn't say a lot of activity, but there still is activity in the market, yeah. you know. And the old adage where motivated sellers with death, divorce, partnership yes. dispute, funds sunsetting. You know, we did a big yep. deal in Whittier back in January where, you know um, – they were actually the fund was sunsetting, so the deal had a trade, and that was it. Yep, had an exchange buyer yep. coming in. Exchange buyers aren't as prevalent right now, but there still are deals happening, yep. and we're starting to see cap rates creep up. Yep, you know, uh, interest rates overall have kind of settled for the mm -hmm. most part as mm -hmm. we speak right now, mm -hmm. but the amount of financing sources in the market isn't as you know it's very volatile coming mm -hmm. and going, and as an intermediary. We're finding more value, I think, clients for mm -hmm. us in the market right now versus just going to direct sources today because, I mean, you look at, you know, different banks coming and going, Signature, Silicon Valley, First Republic that mm -hmm. obviously have had major issues. Oh, yeah. The question is how many more banks will be following yep. that? So we'll be interesting to see what actually happens and how much the Fed is going to be in here to backstop everything. Mm -hmm. um, you have a huge background and experience in office mm -hmm. more than anyone we've had on the show. Yeah. And so given the office market and the trillions of dollars of debt coming due here in the next yes. you know, 24 to 36 months, yes. a lot of the viewers here on the show would love to hear your take on what, what is going to happen on these assets and you know, can they be reconfigured? Yeah. I mean, or is the bulldozer what, yeah. you know, or are these, you know, is the market going to stabilize and, you know, what's going to happen here? I mean, well, I don't with, think we have 10 years because I could talk about the office markets for a long time because <laughs> it's a tough, it's a tough subject. I think, you know, I, I, I have a joke about the office market where my son who's five and a half. We're talking about before the show. He loves these choose your own adventure books, you know, oh, turn to page 27 to follow this character here, turn to page 35 to follow this character here. And I've jokingly said the office market is like a choose your own adventure book where except every page you turn to is fall off a cliff and die because <laughs> everything about the office markets right now are really awful. I mean, it, it is, there's a complete lack of equity that's there. There's a complete lack of debt. 
There's no confidence. I think where I where you see the real sort of negativity is you talk to a lot of the tenant rep office leasing brokers, right? right. Where, you know, I cut my teeth at Grab and Ellis when I started in this business doing office industrial, tenant and landlord leasing work. Sure. Uh, I spent a large bulk of my career uh, doing value add office deals, acquiring office buildings. So I've spent a lot of time developing and nurturing relationships with office tenant rep brokers because if you're going to own an office asset, it's really critical you understand those leasing brokers and have relationships yes. with them. Right. Since office space can be a commodity. Right. And why ch tenants choose to go to one place over the other yes. can have a large degree be directed by those tenant rep brokers. And when you talk to them, the story is really dire from the tenant perspective. No tenants are really taking on more space. Most of them are right-sizing. Yes. I think many are finding ways in which to get creative, working with you know some of their uh, employees with work from home or hybrid. And a lot of them are just saying, we just don't need as much space. Right. More importantly, I think, or I would just say to add to that, they also are saying, we need cool, creative space. So I have a friend of mine who was in 18,000 square feet of space who's recently moving. They're upgrading their space. They're going to much more high-end, really cool collaborative space, but they're taking 10,000 feet. Okay. Now, on an aggregate dollar basis, they're actually spending the same amount in rent per month, but they went to a much cooler project. That's what's so interesting about the office markets is there are certain projects in Orange County, really all over the United States, right. that are performing well, sure. but it's really the class A-plus assets that have all the amenities, the space that tenants want. Right. The commodity 80s, late 80s vintage office buildings um, you know, are really, really struggling because okay. the tenants don't want them. They don't, they don't want to take and as you're much space like there. You're talking like in downtown areas. Versus I'm talking like, in downtown areas. Yeah. I yep. mean, frankly, I'm probably talking about the building we're in right now. I'm right. talking about these multi-tenant, you know, B plus, B, A minus office buildings that were built, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago that just don't have the amenities, don't offer the cool space, right? Uh, don't have, you know, the, the cool creative feel that tenants really want. Sure. And uh, just space, right? Yes. Um, those buildings are struggling. Right. And you're seeing it from the tenant demand. You're seeing it from the occupancy levels. You're seeing it from the rent levels. Right. In, in many ways, I say, you know, we're not oversupplied in office. We're under demolished. And literally, there is <laughs> that's a, a that's a that's a great point. Yeah, and yeah. I've heard I, I've heard that from a couple of people, and I, I think it's just true. Right. Um, we actually recently bid on a project in the city of Orange, where it was a 1988 vintage uh, office building that a large institutional group was selling. It was on seven acres and oh. they were selling it and the brokers who were selling it were selling it as residential redevelopment land. Got it. Saying this building's 50% leased, it's going to 40% leased. This needs to be torn down and re-entitled for multifamily development. It's what the city wants. Right. It's what's best for the community. Seven uh, acres in Orange County is precious. It's hard. And, but by the That's way, it's amazing. a lot of these office buildings that have these surface parked right. projects that yes. are on large acreages. Yes. And when you tour this office project, you go, this place just sucks. It's yeah. just not cool. Um, there's a quiet <laughs> They're desperation. Tired, They're know, tired. Yeah. And you okay. look at it and go, to build a multifamily, which we need in Southern California, right? right? more units to yes. help with the housing crisis we have, it just makes sense. And so unfortunately, that current owner um, you know, is taking a loss. They bought it in 2018 when the sure. world was different. Um, and that's just going to that's gonna play out over the next, call it three to five years yes. of owners recognizing that they're going to, you know, the world has just changed yeah. and it's, it's going to create, I think, opportunities. It I will. think, um, uh, for sure it will. Um, and I, I think though it's, 
unfortunately going to be a lot of pain in the interim. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's something I think a lot of people are very watchful of. We're very watchful of because you always worry about the collusion impacts. Could that impact you know the capital markets for industrial assets, multifamily assets, others? Because it's so bad. Um, but again, thankfully we don't own a ton of it. Right. But um, right now. Um, and we do think there'll be opportunities that come from it, for sure. For sure. And, and that's the silver lining. And, of course, the credit markets, these same lenders that have the assets that are doing yes. the apartments, industrial, yes. single tenant, you know, the very safe assets today yes. also have this stuff on their books. So there's going to be an impact all the way through, and yep. there will be a price to pay for it. Yep. But like you said, I couldn't agree more. There will be that mm -hmm. silver lining that will come out. So repurpose the asset. I mm -hmm. just talked to another client last night here in Orange County that bought an office building that's, like, pretty much vacant. Yep. But he's leasing out the huge parking lot yep. and has a master lease on this to a corporation mm -hmm. that he's making way more money on the storage yes. of this property. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it is, it is yeah. it's wild to think when you look at industrial values in Southern California compared to office. Right. Having started my career in 2004 in Southern California when it was the exact opposite. Sure. Uh, now you're seeing record high prices for industrial you're seeing office buildings get bought and torn down to build industrial, which is like, you, you, that's sort of you mind blowing to me. Yeah, I can't. Eat. Ten years ago, if you told somebody that, they would say you're nuts. But, right. You know, it's just the reality of the world we live in. And I think the interesting thing about this cycle compared to other ones is the impact of technology. Yes. I think you first saw that with indoor malls and the growth of e-commerce. Now you're seeing with office in terms of where people can work and how companies can function, which is very different. So I think where technology has had a big impact, and I think that'll be the story from this cycle, is technology's impact positively and negatively yes. on real estate. Clearly, obviously, on the industrial side, it's been very positive. Right. On the office side, it's been you know very negative. And certain retail, it's actually been really positive, and it's been negative in the right. same time. So it's yeah. interesting. Yeah, 10, 15 years ago, not everyone had their phone just in their hand with the, no. the news articles. No. Like just this, and was it last end of last week or this week, and I see an article in, in BizNow that comes out. It was a office building in San Francisco yep. had a valuation of $300 million in 2019, just yep. four years ago. Yep. Today, they're getting bids in the high 50s, the low 60s yep. on the same asset. Four years later, yep. the, the value comes down 80%. Yep. I mean- It's I, crazy. Now, I, I will tell you, I, I do think they're going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I've said that sure. too, where there are going to be some opportunities that I think Waterford will be mindful of, keeping our finger on the pulse. Because again, I don't think office is going away. I think it's shifting and changing, no different than right. retail, uh, where retail has shifted and changed. Yes. And certain retail has- you know, not done well. Certain retail has thrived uh, in this new environment. Yes, um, I think it'll be very similar with office. So right. I think the the markets, like always, are going to be nuanced. Yes. So you have to take. I think what we pride ourselves on at Waterford is trying to take nuanced approaches to things so that you don't miss opportunities. And I do feel like office at some point could get cheap enough where it will make sense to buy again. It's just going to take a little bit of time before we get there. But <laughs> I would tell you with some of those recent comps and some of the stories you're reading, we're getting there pretty quickly. Right. Oh, it's going to mark to market quickly mm -hmm. because, mm -hmm. you know, the debt's coming due yes. and they don't, they're not going to do the cash and refinance. Nope. Nope. As soon as the lenders start getting keys, yes. even as soon as that happens, you'll yes. get those. And then even before that now, you'll start to see the note sales. Yep. Yep. So that will be the domino. Yep. And then a lot of these can be repurposed. The question is, ceiling heights I've heard in office buildings and talking to some clients that tried to repurpose them. Number one, most of the windows don't open. That's mm -hmm. yes, that's one yes, thing as a tenant. Yes, yes. The ceiling height is an issue yes. as far as putting all the systems. Yes. 
adding all the bathrooms. So there's a significant cost to it, but it can help. Like yep. in California, you know, the affordable housing mm-hmm. issue mm-hmm. that would be very, very significant. So maybe one thing that we're working on some projects right now in Ohio where the cities and state may do some maybe tax abatement. Yep. That could be a great. Yep. You're already seeing California talk about that and institute some legislation around that. Yes. It's what's going to have to happen. I think an interesting case study that I was reading about was what happened to lower Manhattan after 9-11, where they allowed some tax incentives and in, in different zoning right. after uh, the events of, of um, September 11th, because they really wanted people to come back in, incentivize they recognize, them, incentivize yeah. them. Yes. they needed more housing. Yes. And so that shows you that with the right sort of prescription, you can fix these areas. And certainly some of these, you know, I look at the urban cores of California, San Francisco, downtown San Francisco, downtown Sacramento, downtown LA, downtown um, San Diego, downtown Long Beach, some of these markets that have these downtown cores, they're going to have to figure this out. Yes, very quickly. Because the office market, it's not coming back in some of those markets in any way, shape, or form like it was before. Right. And so they're going to have to get really creative. And maybe in the long run, it's a good thing because I think, you know, the challenge with office buildings is it doesn't bring a lot of life on weekends or at nights. So to have more... Uh, people living uh, in places where they're also working could be a good thing for the environment, could be a good sure. thing for these areas. So yeah. I tend to try to take a positive outlook on it. Um, if you own some of those buildings, you're probably not taking a very positive outlook <laughs> on it, but that's welcome right. to real estate. Oh, I know. Yeah. It's it's 100% true. I mean, yeah. I'm in um, you know Nashville most of the time, yes. so I'm seeing these skyscrapers being built. Mm-hmm. We're um, part of our Mark Smilchap office is in the the gulch down there at this industrial yep. space, which is really cool space yep. that's booming down there. Yes. And then across the street, there's some big towers being built right yep. now. And I'm looking at these beautiful assets going up and I'm just like, wow, what, which tenants are going to be going in yes. there? You yes. know? So I don't know if they can easily convert these over to yep. multifamily or condos while yes. they're building it, but that might be it might very be wise. It's going to be very fascinating to see how it all plays out. For sure. Yes, yep. for sure. So, um, anyway, well, thank you for touching on that. Sure. Um, You've been teaching at USC, yes. So that's yeah. really cool. Yeah, it's something so I, I, have a huge I would love to. I would love, love to kind of hear a little bit about, you know, how did that come about, and how are you doing with it, and yeah. the students. I mean, it probably even helps with you know help building their careers and whatnot. And yeah, I, yeah. I think we have a lot of younger people on the show that watch it, yep. and middle people, and people very seasoned as well. But yeah. I think they can all benefit from someone like yourself with mm-hmm. your experience yeah. in teaching at SC. So that's that's a very my, my hat's off to you. That's really yeah, cool. Yeah, no, it's it's something that I was very fortunate in 2015. Uh, they asked me to teach a class uh, in the master's real estate development program. It was an office and industrial development and investment class. Um, there was a teacher who was retiring who taught it for many, many years. And um, I had expressed some interest, you know, of, of coming back to teach at some point. I had such a positive experience there in that program. Um, and, and I knew I always wanted to be able to give back. Uh, to give back to the next generation of students. I always thought it was something where, you know, our industry, I feel like has never done the best job of kind of educating the sort of the the, the workforce uh, right. and educating people how to get into our business. You know, there's been a lot of sort of black boxes of it. I think we're doing a much better job. And I think a lot of the trade organizations, a lot of the companies are recognizing that, especially as students as coming out of school, pursuing technology and other things that, Real estate needed to sort of grow up a little bit, and commercial sure. real estate in particular, and be something that was more open and inclusive and allow more people to come into the business. Right. So for me, my part, I always thought is I could teach. 
Um, and it's honestly been awesome. I, I love being in front of students. I love real estate in general. I always joke I'm a real estate nerd, so I, I, I love real estate. So talking about real estate is something I love doing. Sure. And to get connected to those students and, and teach them and teach them things I've learned, I, t- I tend to take a very practical outlook with my class, and I talk a lot about structuring deals, how you raise capital, right. setting up your companies, looking at opportunities, crafting the narrative around a deal. Right. And I really try to be very practical because that's some of the advice I got while I was in school that was really helpful. Sure. And so I, I love it. And so this will be, I think this is my eighth or ninth year. This summer I'm going to teach again. Nice. Um, and I've taught everything from office and industrial. I actually taught an intro to real estate class to undergrads which was great, challenging, but great. And then this summer I'm teaching a class, really a real estate entrepreneurship class, which I okay. think I was kind of gravitating towards anyways, where it'll be basically helping students understand how you start a real estate company, what are the steps that need to be taken, how you raise capital for your first project, okay. um, and all those sort of things. So I'm, re- I'm really excited about that's it. That's great. I mean, that's priceless. I mean, I remember yeah. being in school and the teachers that were up there maybe who, you know, weren't actually in the real world, who yep. actually did it. Yep. For someone like yourself, yep. who's been in the real world, yep. actually done deals, yeah. very successful, yep. right? Probably yep. has had a lot of challenges as well, yep. which For sure. I like to maybe touch on. Sure. To be able to sit in front of students today, you know, these these young men and women and and their, you know, teens and early 20s mm-hmm. to talk to them exactly how the real world works yep. is priceless, yep. which I, I think I, I wish more schools would be doing yep. that, having professionals coming in, yep. whatever field it is, yep. and talking about yep. exactly instead of looking at the textbook. Yep. I always had trouble looking at the textbook and understanding how the world works of course, yeah. versus sitting there listening to the person. Well, here's a deal that actually just happened. Yep. That's really cool. No, it's it's something that I think it's it's important. I'm you know I'm a proud alum of USC. I think they've done a great job over the years yes. of bringing these adjunct faculty member, members. And I think it's it's just something that's really cool. I mean, I, I being in front of students and 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 seeing them, you know, learn about real estate and really try to help and, and guide them. You know, I'm a big believer in paying it forward. And so it's what's always special for me is when I when I teach them, then I'll be at an event and one of them will come up to me and they still call me Professor Drackman and I'm like, call me John. And they'll <laughs> tell me about their careers and they reach out to me and I, I feel like I've hopefully helped them a little right. bit. Is you know I, I tend to think I'm putting some good karma out there, yes. so um, it's great. But it, I mean, honestly, it's a lot of fun. I, I I know a lot of people talk about the environment on college campuses today and all these things. What I always tell people is, being on a college campus, I will tell you that the energy for real estate is very strong. The students are great. They want to learn. Yes. They want to learn more, um, and they really take to. They work hard, and they're really passionate about it. And so it's it's really easy, candidly, to keep going back That's great. because I think the students are just great and they, and they want to learn and sure. I want to help them. And, you know, as I always joke, you know, maybe one day they become a lender and, you yeah, know, I'm yeah. sitting across the table for him. I, <laughs> I know you had uh, Jerry Fink on from Bascom Group. Yes. And, yes. you know, one of the things I remember him talking about, he has that internship program. Yes. And he talks about that and how some of those interns have gone off to be their lenders, their equity partners, they've brought in projects. Right. And I've always thought about that in the context of my teaching that, you know, maybe it takes a couple years, but at some point... Probably helping a student will be on the other side of the table. Yes. And they're like, I remember John, and he really helped me out. So yes. I'm not going to grind so hard here. It's so great. It's, it, it's great, and it's something that uh, I'm hugely passionate about and very, very fortunate and blessed that SC gave me the opportunity, and I've ran with it. Great. I mean, I think probably 75% of the people on our show have probably have been at SC in some form yes. or fashion, yes. pretty much. So yes. it's uh, 
it's a excellent school, yes. you know, yes. and they're pioneering everything as far as real estate goes. Yes. And I highly, um, you know, highly recommend that school uh, to anybody getting into real estate. Yep. So that's excellent. Um, what about as far as, um, you know, maybe some of the talk about maybe some of the highs and lows of your career, yeah. if you can just kind of touch on that, because people hear about all the success of oh, everyone, yeah. but I would like to hear maybe a little bit about some of the challenges you yeah. had in your career and how you were able to yeah. sometimes get knocked down really hard and you yep. get back even stronger. Yeah, no, I think it's a great question because I do think sometimes people focus on the successes more yes. rather than the, uh, you know, the failures or the struggles. Um, you know, so I, I think first and foremost, the biggest struggle I probably had, if you talk about a low for my career, um, I, and I go back to a lot is always, you know, graduating from USC from their, um, the MBA MRED program in uh, May of 2009. So, you know, I got into the real estate business at Grubb and Ellis, um, in 2004, the commercial real estate business. And I started doing office industrial leasing. And I, and I was very fortunate that I came on board at a time when the market was really strong, uh, especially office leasing in Orange County. I mean, this was the days of, you know, we were the subprime headquarters for really, you know, the United States. And so the office markets were really strong. So I came in in this great period of time where it was sort of easy to lease office space, easy to find tenants. Um, There's a lot of activity and things going on. And so then I, you know, decided to go back to graduate school. I was there from 07 to 09, sort of saw the GFC, saw the world falling apart. Felt like I timed that really well and felt really smart. And then I graduated in May of 2009 without any job offers, with really nothing. And, you know, I was, uh, I was very fortunate that I was my now wife. We were dating and I got engaged to her. She was living at home with her parents to save money. And so I moved in with my in-laws in Huntington Beach because I didn't have a job. Sure. Uh, none of the friends that I graduated had a job. And it was a really tough period of time because I, I really felt like I had taken all these really smart steps right. and invested myself in my education. Sure. And I felt like the real estate gods, you know, quote unquote, were rewarding me. Sure. And so that was really tough. I, I remember I, I started subleasing an office from an old client of mine who uh, was doing some student housing projects, trying to raise capital to do student housing. Sure. And, you know, I, I was trying to consult for them. And then I was also trying to help some former clients that I had a, a buddy of mine who was still a broker where I was doing some underwriting for him. And I was going to this office every day, you know, still talking to people. I mean, and you remember, I mean, there was nothing going on. Right. And it was just, it, it was really depressing. Yes. Um, you know, looking back, I should have just traveled and, you know, not worried <laughs> about stuff too much. Uh, but at the time, I remember I, I really, I was a really hard period of time. Right. And, um, you know, I, I think that's why I'm pretty vocal on LinkedIn and other places where, you know, a student, you know, younger professionals go through their first cycles to remember everyone's going through this together. Yes. I think I internalized a lot of things. You know, I did all these things right. Why is this happening to me? Right. Um, and I think with some hindsight, I needed to realize, look, this was nothing to do with me. This was just the way the market yeah, was. Exactly. And we were about ready to enter a great market. And sure. so, you know, I was fortunate at the end of 2009 to land a job with Greenlaw Partners. And if I would have known what I knew now, again, I would have been like, oh, I'm going to take a couple months off. I'm going to sure. go to the beach. I'm not going to worry about things. Things will figure themselves out, which they did. But it was a really low point in my life because I felt like I'd done all these things and I wasn't getting rewarded for it, which it's welcome yeah. to real estate, right? Exactly. Welcome and to the real world. Welcome right? to the real I mean, world, that's, right? That's just that's the way the real is. world is, especially our business. Yes. And you feel like you can work really hard 
and not get anywhere. And I right. always joke when people say things like, oh, you know, brokers are overpaid. I'm like, the thing is, you never saw the 10 deals that they worked on that didn't make right. for them to get paid on that one deal. Yes. And that real estate is an up and down business. And it is. I think that's what I learned from that experience. And that wasn't necessarily a deal experience. That was just a, a market experience. Right. That was hard. And But I was very lucky that towards the end of 09, I got a job with Greenlaw Partners, which was an excellent place to start my you know career after sure. coming out of SC. And I learned a tremendous amount. And you know, transparently, the market started healing themselves. And by yes. the end of 09, they started acquiring assets again. Yes. And you know, lo and behold, the the you know, real estate goes up and it goes down and then it goes back up again. Yes. Things work themselves out. And so right. that was probably the lowest point, I think, of my career. Okay. I mean, there's certainly deals we've had that haven't worked out. Um, and, and those are more sometimes you look back and you go, maybe we underwrote something. You know, in a way in which it's just things don't work out. Right. I joke is as soon as you underwrite a project and close on it, throw the underwriting model away because then the real world's going to hit yeah, you. Yeah, it's just a snapshot in time. It's like a balance 100%. sheet on a company. 100%. Yes. And so there, there's plenty of stories of that. But I remember personally, you know, showing up to that office, you know, no job prospects, trying to scrounge together money by doing consulting work for people, people being really in a negative, depressed mood right. uh, as being really hard. But if there was a lesson learned in that, it was I showed up on Monday, I showed up on Tuesday, and I showed up on Wednesday. I didn't yes. quit the business. I didn't quit the industry. Right. I just kept showing up, and you know things will have a way of working themselves out, and it ended up working out great. That's great. Yeah. Well, good. And perseverance, just like anything, like you, you said in this business, is everything. Yep. I mean, I've seen people from all different facets of the business, you know, yep. come, go, high, yep. low. No one just consistently you know, no. hits it out of the no. park. And no. it's kind of funny because you see on LinkedIn, you see all these different places where we're, we're posting everything. No one puts, you know what? Oh, here's a deal I lost. And here's yes. something I lost. Yes. It's only about the wins. 100%. <laughs> I'm just, yes. I was just thinking right now, maybe I should just put stuff I've lost yes. on there to yeah, get yeah, all yeah. the... <laughs> I've actually posted a couple of those times. I think there's good learning exercises. It, it really is. I talk to my students yeah. about projects that haven't worked out well. Yep. Sometimes I use other people's that haven't worked out well, but it's it's important because like anything, you want to learn and grow. 100%. And, and not everyone's... Got, I mean, plenty of the people that are going to be on your show... Myself, we've had projects that haven't worked out, and right. the goal always is to figure out what happened. Yeah, try to course correct, try to make sure that you don't make that same mistake again. But right. I, I look at we go back to the office markets. Look, if you bought an office building in 2018 in downtown San Francisco, everyone would have told you that's smart. The tech markets, that's a of you could have bought a oh, core yeah. you can't office miss, building. Right? Yeah, that's a good place to park your money. Who would have known? Right. And I don't necessarily fault people for having struggles on some of those projects because it's like, who would have known that we were going to have a worldwide pandemic, right. that this work from home, which people kind of talked about, was going to, you know, we were all going to have to do it right. and it was going to have this impact. And so just life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And staying diversified, obviously, in real estate or any yep. kind of business is going to be key. Yep. Having all your eggs in one basket, yep. one product type in one market. Yep. You know, you're swinging for the fence, 100%. but prepare to be struck out yep. too. I agree with that. So, you know, with that being said, I mean, it... Maybe if you're just on on a wrap here, what what do you see for the remainder of this year and kind of going into next year? What what are your thoughts overall? Do you, you kind of see the Fed lightening up on things and, and the market starting to kind of pick up of a normal pace, or do you still see things you know kind of sluggish for a while? I think it's going to be very interesting and nuanced. And what I mean by that is, I think one thing that's very unique about this cycle 
compared to other cycles. And I like studying the cycles to figure out, okay, what this one is like, because um, they're all different. Someone said, you know, they're different, but they rhyme. Mm-hmm. Um, what's different about this one is something I touched on earlier is technology. Technology's impact on real estate, very real. Um, and it's, it's causing some big shifts. And it caused some big shifts even during COVID, where you saw so much capital that went into industrial assets, that went into multifamily assets, yes. that went into some of the niche sectors, right. self-storage, life sciences, medical office. Um, I, I think that's what's so unique about what's going to happen. And what I mean by that is er- everything in real estate is sort of decoupled from itself. Previously, if you look at the, you know, the GFC, all real estate sort of single family homes kind of let it, but all real estate went into a recession yes. and it all kind of came out of a recession in 09 and 10. But then what happened in about 13 or 14 is when retail sort of was coming out of it and then went back down. Yep. Now what you've seen is all the product types are sort of decoupling from the, mm-hmm. from themselves, which I think is really unique. Yes. So I think it's hard to answer that question because I think unlike previous cycles where maybe things would come up and down together, I think this one is going to be really nuanced. So you more could of be a, more of a flight to quality. More of a flight to quality, but each product type, each submarket, each area is yes. going to function differently. Yes. And so I think it's going to be that's where I think it's going to be unique. So for instance, you're starting to see some of the distress come in office, right? You haven't seen any distressed in industrial. Right. And it could be if it ever comes, maybe it will, but it'll certainly be far past when anything happened to office. Retail, I joke, if you talk to people in retail, they're like, distressed, where have we been the last seven or eight years? Like right. we've been dealing with the, you know, the, the, you know, basically this retail apocalypse for a while and all the store closures. And in many ways, maybe Bed Bath & Beyond is one of the last bigger ones to fail and a lot of already have. Right. And retail has been already figuring itself out. Yes. So I could actually see retail being positive outside of the capital markets the next couple of years because a lot of retails are figured it out. So right. Where we are over the next 12 months, I think it's going to be unique to, you know, segments of the market, product types, areas. Yes. Um, You know, I certainly think, you know, from a Waterford perspective, we certainly see there's going to be some pain in the office side. No doubt about that. But there'll be opportunities from that. Um, I do think um, in certain sub-markets like Las Vegas and Phoenix, uh, on the multifamily side, there's going to be some issues because uh, groups got very aggressive late cycle using short-term floating rate debt at really low cap rates yes. where the interest rate environment and the nature of those markets is different. You're also seeing a lot of new units getting added to those markets. So I think you could see some, I would call it more acute pain mm-hmm. there. Um, and I think those will probably take another... <laughs> It's interesting because I heard Jerry say, you know, he thought sort of third or fourth quarter this year. I'm probably more like first or second quarter next year okay. before you see real opportunities in that. Sure. Um, that side of the business. Retail, again, I think it's going to be interesting. Um, industrial, I've been saying we're going to have a correction in industrial for the last five or six years, and I've been wrong. So I've right. just stopped talking about it because um, I, I think it's just the tenant demand is still strong, but it'll it be interesting to track that. So, right. I think it's going to be nuanced, and I meaning, I think five years from now, there could be we could have worked through any issues we had that were sort of acute in the multifamily side. We could be long past them. Right. We still could be talking about 
COVID office opportunities, right? There still could be people who hung out on, and there still could be opportunities to buy there. And so right. I don't know if that answers your question well, yeah, no, but I think it's going to exactly... be really nuanced. And Got it. so I, I think that's... And no one, and no one knows, no John. One knows. I mean, that's the bottom line is no. no one knows. No one knows where interest rates are yeah. going. No one knows where the next, you know, the hot yeah. bed is going to be. People are forecasting, making, yep. you know economic decisions and an informed decision yep. based on the information they yep. have at that point in time. Yep. We're all heroes, the money morning quarterback. Yes. You know, talking about next weekend's game and forecasting yeah. that, yeah. hey, you know, it's anybody's guess. And the only, you know, last thing I'd, I'd end with is that we are still underwriting opportunities. You know, we're still pursuing opportunities. Yes. I think you can never be out of the markets. I right. think that's something where, you know, you do that. And then all of a sudden those 09 opportunities come and you're like, right. wow, that could be really great. I mean, we've, that project I mentioned in Orange, we pursued it hard because uh, we thought it was a great opportunity. And we, right. we still think that there's opportunities in the market. I think it's going to be, um, you know, I, I do feel like as we go through this cycle, buying quality, buying in great locations, yes. being smart about that is going to make a lot of sense for all product types, right. whether it's industrial, office, multifamily, retail. I think buying good quality assets in areas where you feel like you maybe have some supply constraints and you feel like there's still going to be strong tenant demand. I don't see that going away uh, from any sort of level of tenant demand. Right. So I think you know that's something that we always try to pride ourselves at Waterford is finding good locations, finding assets that can handle recessions better, right. that can handle market dislocations better. And so uh, I think we're actually bullish on finding those opportunities and being smart about it. Um, and, but I just think it's going to be indicative for any investor to really track the markets in this sort of, you know, a way in which they look at them very independent from each other, product types, submarkets, everything. It's, right. it's going to be about, hey, we found this opportunity and it's great. And you could go 10 miles away and find something else that maybe isn't as good. And right. so that's going to be really important moving forward. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And there will be opportunities. And Oh, yeah. And, you know, people like yourself mm -hmm. and your partner, Sean, are going to be able to capitalize on these yep. opportunities. And we have a lot of investors all over the country that will find those niches, 100%. go in there and pounce and do well. Yep. You know, the capital markets, whatever they are, they're going to ebb and flow. They mm -hmm. always do, right? Mm -hmm. But these cycles come and go. And real estate, you know, just like you talked about, finding a good flight to quality and a long-term investment, you know, it's not sometimes get rich quick overnight. We've been nope. very spoiled on this market yep. that just happened. Yep. You know, with all the supply of capital in the yep. market, with those artificially low interest rates, yep. now we're back to a normalized time. Now the pros come out to play, yes. and that's really where yeah. you know the difference of what we're seeing yeah. versus people that have maybe not been in the market a mm -hmm. long time, capitalizing on opportunities yep. just because of a hot market coming in. Yep. But now everyone's hands are on the table, yep. and that's where the rubber hits the road. So. Yeah, hundred percent agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, John, I can't thank you enough for coming of course, in. My pleasure. I really appreciate your time today. Yeah, of course. And hopefully fun. everyone benefited. Yeah. Uh, John Drockman, everybody, please uh, check out the podcast. And I hope everyone has a great day. Yeah, thank, thank you. you.